Looking to stand out from the pack at your first job? When you earn a master's in management from Georgetown, you'll gain the skills employers value most, elevating your career prospects for years to come. Get started at choosegeorgetown.com slash MIM. Time again for the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Thanks for being here. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with the Faculty Chair of Autonomous Vehicle Engineering at Princeton University, Alan Kornhauser. Hi, Alan. Hi, Fred. Well, so much to talk about. What a week. First up, the National Transportation Safety Board's preliminary report on the Uber self-driving vehicle crash in Arizona two months ago is out. A pedestrian, as we all know, Elaine Herzberg, was killed. And the NTSB findings raise many, many questions. Alan, I'll let you get started. Well, yes, as as we reported uh, a month or so ago, um, uh, when it first happened, that uh, it really um, this the systems in the uh, Uber vehicle uh, should have been able to determine that there was an object ahead, um, and that it was uh, crossing in front of it. And uh, sure enough, uh, we had thought. That maybe it was only four seconds before the the crash that they started that the system started to see it. In fact, the NTSB tells us that it was six seconds before impact, and that the vehicle was traveling uh, at forty three miles an hour. Uh, that's the Uber car, and uh, basically for the next six seconds, uh, it continued to um, to see the object ahead and uh, did nothing it just sounds unbelievable so tell us what what we know from this report that was going on and what uber had done with the vehicle well uh it, what they had done is uh that they had uh, whenever ever when they're in their uh their automated uh driving mode uh they basically turn off uh, all the uh um, uh, automated emergency braking systems and other automated systems that are on the the, uh, the stock Volvo that they've uh, basically layered uh, their uh, automated driving package on top of, and uh, you know, and that's probably the right thing for them to do because um, if they if they kept the Volvo system on and had their system on, um, that's kind of good but but what do you do when those two systems don't agree and uh, i guess um, they must feel that their system is better and so therefore it would go with their system so um why have why have uh, something else in there that um, it, that really um isn't going to be used so they turn it off and i guess that's appropriate but the problem is, is that uh, what does their system do when it's on? And in um, certain situations, uh, they must have determined through the testing that they did that um, they sense uh, objects ahead. And um, those objects um, are such, uh, because of their characteristics, are such uh, that... Uh, that they basically disregard the object. Um, and that's fine when the object uh, turns out to be an overpass or an overhead sign or uh, a tree canopy. Uh, yes, the vehicle will easily pass under that those objects ahead 
and therefore one shouldn't be um, uh, performing erratic maneuvers um, and like turn, putting on the brakes every time you approach um, an overpass that the road uh, um, clearly passes under. Uh, the problem is, is that when is the object ahead not an overpass? When is it uh, actually um, a person uh, walking a bicycle or even just a person or even just a bicycle with somebody on it? Um, when is it that as opposed to an overpass? And it must be that their system has trouble determining the difference. And, and and I suspect, and and it's I really hope that the NTSB finds out from Uber and has Uber tell everybody what their testing history had been of how many false alarms they got driving down roads in which there was something that they saw ahead, but it was something that they actually could easily pass underneath it. And they couldn't tell the difference and thought that maybe they, they couldn't tell the difference and, and that it was something they could pass underneath, uh, that would then cause their system to start applying the brakes. And, and what were those situations? Uh, because those situations caused them some designer, some place who's writing the code say, Oh my goodness, this happens too often. We can't be applying the brakes even once out of every hundred times we pass under uh, a canopy of trees or an overhead sign or a a a uh, overpass. Uh, even if we do it that rarely, we can't be doing it that rarely. So whenever we determine anything with the characteristics that that are similar to uh, the overpass or the canopy of trees or the sign, then disregard it. Assume we can pass underneath it. It's nothing that we should worry about. So forget about it. Well, uh, here, this wasn't an overpass. This wasn't a sign uh, that they could pass under it. It was actually a person. And... <laughs> And so they disregarded it, even when, and if you read the NTSB report, the NTSB report says that at some time they determined that this was not just an object, uh, that it was, in fact, a vehicle. My goodness, a vehicle. Uh, you don't pass under too many vehicles on, on the, that are on your lane ahead. Uh, and then eventually determined that it was a, a, someone walking a bicycle. And, and even then they didn't do anything. So they need to tell us when those times were. When did it finally determine it was a vehicle? And if it determined it was a vehicle, how could they possibly write code that says disregard it? And, and, if it, at some point they determined that it was a pedestrian and are they so, or did they make so many errors in determining pedestrians and have so many false alarms that even when you determine a pedestrian, you say, oh, it's a false alarm. Forget about it. I mean, really? That's how they wrote their code? That's how they justified it? 
I mean, that's that's totally unethical, if 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 not criminal. Uh, so the NTSB has to divulge an enormous amount more than what they divulge here, and everybody else who's writing their code uh, needs to look. Oh my goodness! Uh, if we ever detect a pedestrian on the road ahead, at least slow down so you don't hit it. And uh, and they did. And then worse of all than the whole process, as is told to us by the NTSB. At 1.3 seconds, which is when the automated emergency braking system should have kicked in, at which point uh, that system didn't kick in either, or basically they said they turn off their automated emergency braking system. Uh, If you turn off an automatic emergency braking system, do you have an automated vehicle at all, really? (laughs) Well, exactly. I mean, at 1.3 seconds, the the distance that the vehicle was from from Elaine at uh, going at at 39 miles an hour, which was which is what the NTSB said was the impact velocity. uh, There is just enough room. Uh, to apply the brakes in an emergency manner to just stop. I think the, you know, the, the distance that, that the vehicle was at that point was something like 74 feet or um, that's off the top of my head. And, and the stopping distance is about 70 feet at that speed. And so even if it would have just waited to the absolute last second and had an emergency braking system, that that would function once you got an emergency signal. Um, uh, they of course don't don't uh, disable that because they figure that. Uh, <laughs> well, I'll get to that in a minute. They disable it. Okay, they don't have it. And in this case, it would have stopped the vehicle if it would have then. Um, started the braking instantaneously, and there's a slight delay in that. So maybe it would have hit her at, instead of at 39 miles an hour, would have hit her at five miles an hour. And um, yes, you would have hit her, uh, but uh, chances are she'd be alive. But they turn it off. Now, let's discuss that logic here. Why is Uber doing all this? I I imagine that the only reason Uber is dealing with automated vehicles is they want to develop a driverless vehicle. A self-driving vehicle really doesn't do Uber much good. It doesn't really help their valuation. Why? Because if you still have to have an attendant in the in the Uber car while you're providing mobility to the folks in the back seat, uh, then that person, uh, then then the, the 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 charge or the fare that is going to have to be charged is going to have to pay for the driver, and you have to deal with managing the drivers and having sufficient numbers of them and blah blah blah, and it's really hard for Uber to become. Uh, to, to, to be, become big enough and, and certainly profitable enough, uh, to justify its, uh, its current valuation. 
whatever that happens to be today. Uh, but at one point, it was the $70 billion. And, and so they have to be a driverless. And, and what they claimed was that they turn off the automated emergency braking system because they feel that in those situations, the attendant on board will be, will be alert enough to see such situations and will be the emergency braking system. <laughs> But if they have to have an attendant on board, it defeats the whole purpose of why they're even putting a nickel or spending even a nickel on this technology. And so it just baffles me that, that they would be out there uh, working on a system that, that the eventual uh, last straw to keep from going out there and being involved in crashes and, and and maiming and killing people would be an attendant. It's it's just it's just the wrong design philosophy, and and it's just baffling. And the tragedy so, here, Alan, um, from from the video, uh, I don't it, know. It appeared at least that that attendant would did not have her eyes on the road at all at that particular time. Well, that's an under. I don't want to throw the attendant under the bus because it's not her fault. I, I think, while well, it's not said explicitly in the NTSB, uh, the NTSB should, should, uh, release a, a, an image from inside, uh, the, uh, the Volvo that shows where the monitor is that, um, that, uh, uh, displays uh, the status of the automated system uh, that uh, that Uber placed in those vehicles. I suspect, and again, you know, I haven't looked inside a vehicle, but I I suspect that they locate that monitor down near where the where the gear shift is, and 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 that the the driver was she was doing exactly what she was supposed to be doing. She was monitoring uh, what the what the uh, automated system was doing, and and so that's what she was looking down at. And that's again a a a, a bad design by Uber. That monitor should be up on the dash. So that if really you expect the, 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 the attendant, uh, to be aware of what, uh, is happening in the, in the road ahead, at least when the attendant is looking at the monitor, if it's placed on the dash, then at least his or her peripheral vision is still out there, uh, um, sensing what is going on on the road ahead. And you know, and, and uh, one of the things that the that the that the that the our visual system does is is that um, in, in that in that area outside the fovea, it's still things that are moving in that uh, alert us, and so and so we're able to at least uh, maybe not sensing as well as if we were looking right at it. Uh, but, uh, when, when, you know, yourself, when something, uh, you know, drops to the floor next to you, uh, your peripheral vision picks it up and you, and, and you, you react. 
<laughs> and so by locating the screen down at the gear shift, they're taking away all opportunities uh, for the uh, for the attendant uh, to uh, have his or her peripheral vision help out in in the in the operating of this vehicle. So you know the NTSB needs to say something about that. This is a four-page report. The NTSB has to divulge a lot more, or I really think Uber should go out there and spill its guts as to what really happened and all the faults that they have. Again, one of the things that uh, you and I have been pleading for, it's in everybody's interest for these systems to be safe. So there should be collusion and cooperation in making them safe. And everybody should be should be sharing their worst nightmares with everybody else to try to solve these things and and and, and make the make everybody's systems better. Um, one shouldn't be there working in one's own little corner, you know, just in one's own little mind. Uh, not benefiting from from the thoughts of others, and 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 somehow you know the NTSB uh, should come out with uh, with at least a a policy statement uh, saying that you know, Uber's CEO up until now or up until this week had been saying he expected to have autonomous vehicle testing resume soon after the NTSB report and their own internal review was completed. Uh, but now they've put out word as of yesterday saying that this Arizona testing uh, is done. I guess no no big surprise. Well, yes. And nobody's surprised. And this is only the preliminary report. I, let's hope there's more that comes out of this. I mean, four pages? Come on. I mean, we need to know the details. Need to know the details of when. That system saw this thing as an object, which was at six seconds. When did it see it as a vehicle and as a vehicle with, with anticipated trajectories? In other words, they put, they, they don't not only put a position vector on this where it is, but in what direction was it moving and how fast? When did they do that? And how was that information updated every 30th of a second? Because they do this. Maybe it's not every 30th of a second. It's at least every 10th of a second. That, mean, that means, you know, during, if it's only every 10th, during the six seconds, they did this 60 different times. And, and you know, each time, you know, how did, the, how did its, its state, how did its, its knowledge of what was going on change? And, and, and where did it, where did this knowledge not come to, to such a, a level of certainty that it said, Oh my goodness, maybe we should slow down and let it pass in front of us, not just slam on the brakes. When it first saw this thing, it was more than a football field distance in length, including the two end zones. My goodness, that's a that's a long way, and they were only going forty three miles an hour. And even if they were going seventy miles an hour, that's a long way. And should these vehicles go faster than seventy miles an hour? Maybe only in Germany in the autobahn, and then they can deal with it. Well, at least we won't we'll move on. Obviously, there's a whole lot more to come. At least we hope there's a whole lot more to come. 
on on the Uber situation from the NTSB and hopefully Uber as well. But there's another article we want to talk about uh, from ARS Technica uh, that focuses on Mobileye, the Israeli self-driving company acquired last year by Intel. It plans to test up to 100 cars on the road in Jerusalem. It's relying solely on cameras, and in a demo before journalists, a demonstration car ran through a red light. Tell us, first of all, your your reaction to this article. You talk about it in, in your latest newsletter. Well, um, you know, the, the uh, mobile, I would like to think that the, that there's, uh, you know, mathematical theories that can go out and, and basically design these systems so that you don't have to do a, a lot of um, of real world testing. And and uh, I don't think so. Uh, in the first place, um, uh, I think one of the things that it points out is that that just putting on miles in the real world just doesn't do it uh, because they could be easy miles. Or originally, Waymo was out in the and roads in Nevada in the desert where, my goodness, nothing's going on, or at least not much. Well, that's fine in the beginning. Uh, you know, you, you you've got to basically crawl before you can walk before you can run. So that's fine. But in the end, you have to, since these systems deliver their value in reality or being, you know, used by people in the real world, at some point you've got to bring them out into the real world. And when you bring them out into the real world, Mother Nature is up there pitching and, and, and she throws a lot of change ups and curveballs that that um, you know you don't necessarily uh, uh, your math your mathematical uh, wizardry doesn't necessarily uh, encompass. I mean, she she does a lot of weird stuff. The the whole thing that came out recently with respect to push starts on cars. I can't imagine that anybody thought when they were designing push starts for cars and that convenience that's, that anybody would drive their car into their garage, close the garage door, and forget to turn off the car. I, you know, in retrospect, you said, oh, my goodness, of course people are going to do that. But before before you have the chance of the first real world observation of that, I don't know. Uh, you've got to be I don't know brighter, have have some kind of really wild inspiration to come up with that one. And maybe you know one person did, or the news didn't come out, and and so the designers put the things in there. And oh my goodness, we're now learning that what twenty. Twenty people have died, or more than one have have done this. And and then I thought back. I, I rented a car in Colorado last last year, and and um, and then stopped for lunch in uh, you know someplace in one of those uh, mining towns, and came back from lunch, and the car was the car was running in the in the parking lot. The New York Times report about this was uh, had a headline saying deadly convenience, keyless cars. And I guess uh, sometimes that we let ourselves get outsmarted by uh, by our by our own technology, trying to make things convenient. Because in the old days with a key, you turn the key off, 
you, you have to turn the key off to, to get out of the car to get into your house. And you're taking the keys with you when it's just a button. I guess it can be easy to forget. Yeah, and, and who would have thought that the design of a key was, was such a safety measure to keep us from, from killing ourselves? I mean, <laughs> it's, it's ironic, but you don't find these things out until you, until you get out there with Mother Nature and, and, and she throws that curveball and you say, whoa, I better learn how to hit that pitch. And and here the I think that you know the solution is easy. You only push the push. They also invented the thing to to get better gas mileage that your car turns off after it idles for who knows how many seconds, you know, to save gas. And then as soon as you hit the hit the gas again, it turns on again. So you know, cars that are equipped that way, you pull them in your garage, you forget to turn it off, but they idle for three seconds. The place doesn't fill up with carbon monoxide, but it turns itself off. And nobody's in there to push the gas pedal again to turn it back on. So I, I think that one works, although we better try. You know, Mother Nature may have not a change up on that one that, that there's something wrong with that one. But, but again, you don't know what you don't know. And many of these things, unfortunately, we have to trip over them. Uh, before they they hit us in the face and make it obvious to the, to us and say, oh my goodness, we have to fix this. And so, in some sense, you know what needs to be done. Back going back to the Uber case, all right, Uber made a bunch of mistakes. I think we give them a pass. Tell us what the mistakes were, so no one else makes the mistakes. That's how you get the pass. Well, you don't tell a, us, then go to There jail. are a lot of issues going back to the to push button starts. I mean, people want to use things and you know, buttons on their on their key ring too to start a car automatically in the winter, warm up the car or cool it in the summer before you get in. But these push button systems I suppose could be designed so that if you're not in the car, uh it would turn off auto automatically. You would think. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I guess we can go have those other things. Again, how long do you want to heat up the car before you get in? Uh, two minutes. I don't think you fill up the house, I mean, with, with carbon monoxide such that it kills you. Uh, having the thing automatically turn off after it's idling for so long, I think, is one, great because it saves, it saves energy, it saves pollution, it saves the environment. It does all those good things. And two, as we can see here, it saves people. Oh, my goodness. Uh, let's really do that. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm overreacting. But um, uh, uh, I think there's, a, a, again, a way to solve this. I think there's a way to address the issues that, that Uber ran into also. You have to get the sensors to be a whole heck of a lot better at, at identifying things doesn't sound like it would be all that complicated to fix this and maybe uh, maybe something's going to happen now hopefully another story the new york times says apple spurned by others signs yeah. a deal with volkswagen for driverless cars that comes as a bit of a surprise maybe i, I it came as a surprise to me i, I don't know um I guess um, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Volkswagen because of what they did with the, with diesel and and uh, all that stuff. So, uh, but um, you know, Volkswagen's been in the business of of 
trying to do automated vehicles for some time. They were, the, you know, the two Volkswagens were the vehicles that, that Stanford University used in the DARPA challenges. And they had, a, I don't know, 30 um, uh, Volkswagen engineers working with them. So, you know, Volkswagen's been working in this space for some time. Audi um, has been uh, doing, uh, you know, some things in this space. So it's, it's I guess, a reasonable choice, although I would have thought that... Uh, the Times report mentioned BMW and Mercedes as having been approached by Apple, but apparently it went nowhere. Yeah, and I'm wondering what happened there. I mean, you would think that uh, that Apple would be um, would be um, someone that those folks would want to would want to cooperate with. Although maybe they're afraid that Apple would uh, take them over. And, <laughs> and uh... well, finally, Alan, uh, the Smart Driving Car Summit uh, took place last week. A big success. Congratulations on all that. And uh, in the latest newsletter, you've got some links to interviews we did and some videos as well that people can check out. Yeah, it, it really was. It, 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 it was marvelous because of, uh, because of all the participants and, and, and the openness that, that existed in the discussion and, and the, uh, the exchanges and the networking that, that took place. It, it was um, um, I was enormously pleased, and uh, and with uh, Vin White coming and speaking from the uh, from the governor's office, um, uh, indicating that uh, that at least uh, uh, the governor is interested in this technology, which is an enormous improvement in the situation here in in uh, New Jersey, and so um, we're kind of teeing it up to. Uh, to do a lot more here in Jersey in the, in the coming year. And of course, uh, uh, we'll, we'll put on this summit again next year. I don't think we'll, unfortunately we will have solved all the, all of our problems by then. And there'll still be a lot of, uh, things for us to discuss and to work on. And, um, and, uh, it's really good this year. It was, it was nice to have, uh, uh, Roscoe here showing their, with their bus, uh, showing, uh, um, uh, their pedestrian detection and 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 collision avoidance technology. We had a number of uh, at least um, showroom uh, vehicles in here uh, having the the latest technology, and hopefully we'll do that again next year. And um, uh, Ro uh, uh, Gupta came in uh, with his. Um, with his um, vehicle that basically has right? um, real-time uh, high-definition imaging and, um, and data collection uh, yeah, from Carmera um, and Amarella uh, and uh, Brogy was here with uh, at least talking about their their vision systems and hopefully next year they'll bring a car. Hopefully next year Nvidia will bring a car. This was. This wasn't, um, you know, the the best year because of the Uber crash for folks to go out and demonstrate their their cars. But uh, for next year, we're looking forward to maybe being able to do that, um, having a, a lot more exhibits and and sponsors. Uh, but it it was um, it was it was really good. And Fred, thank you for all your hard work during the during the summit. Well, thank you, Alan, and we all learned a lot. 
That's it for the 40th edition of the Smart Driving Cars podcast. Funny, we don't feel a day over 29. You, you, can, you can find us at smartdrivingcar.com on iTunes, Google Play, and more, even on your Amazon Alexa. Look for my tech reports at textination.com. I'm Fred Fishkin, along with Alan Kornhauser. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>